And so if you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture which contains the depths of the riches and wisdom of God, the knowledge of God that the Lord reveals to us deeper, greater. The book of Matthew 5:45 and 48, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called, Called to Perfection. An unusual command, an unusual request directed towards his disciples, his students. A person becomes afraid, thinking, is it possible, being in this mortal body, to possess perfection that is in the likeness of our Heavenly Father? The Son of God had called and commanded the very word he used, that God used, to create the world, that our sun may rise. On, over the evil and the good and the rain, uh, pour upon the just and unjust. The sun of the Heavenly Father shines upon the righteous and unrighteous differently. So the one it curses and the other it blesses. Rain is also poured out differently. The righteous it blesses, but the unrighteous it curses. He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and unjust. And so as he, it is written that he pours out one for punishment and one for mercy in the book of Job. Relevant to fulfilling this required commandment, we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man, specifically the goal that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue and impart the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart, received by us in the two broken tablets of the covenant and established in new tablets, allowing God the ability to give us the promise to be heirs of peace not by the law but by the righteousness of faith, like he gave it to Abraham and his seed. Romans 4, the book of Romans 4.13. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. We've noted that the covenant of peace identified as the inheritance of peace is called to abide within the heart of a man and is evidence of the fact that we are children of God. Therefore, the inheritance of peace present in the covenant of peace is actually the treasury of our hope in God, containing the complex of all of the promises of God. When accomplished, this is the goal of the given to us righteousness. Therefore, it is righteousness by the means of the peace of God contained in the covenant of peace that can and is called to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The book of Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 
So to better learn and understand the purpose righteousness pursues bringing about the inheritance of the peace of God and understanding the conditions outlining the way our righteousness needs to garment itself into peace to satisfy the requirement of being perfect, as our Heavenly Father is perfect, we have come to the necessity to look at four classical questions. What are the qualities of the peace of God in Scripture? Call to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What power does the peace of God have within the relationship of God with man and man with other men? What conditions do we fulfill to be clothed into the peace of God called to guard our minds and the signs by, by, by the signs that were to determine that we have the peace of God within our heart if a person has not died for his nation for his house and for his corrupt desires then his justification which he received in salvation by faith in Christ Jesus in the format of a guarantee will never convert into righteousness by which he would be able to receive and be clothed into the promise of peace to then bear fruits of peace in his righteousness. And furthermore, not dying for their nation, house, or corrupt desires, the promise of peace will be taken from them, giving them the right to be called sons of God. Beware that no one take your crown. It is written in Scripture, the promise of peace is that very same crown. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, Matthew 5, 9. According to the above-mentioned words of Scripture, the word blessed, blessed are the peacemakers, where it's talking about the fruit of righteousness being the equivalent of the peace of God within our heart is evidence of the fact that we are sons of peace. This serves as grounds for God so that he may lead us into the inheritance of his son so that we would share with him the fulfillment of all that is written about him in the laws, prophets, and psalms. Because the justification that we receive by right of our birth from the seed of the word of truth has converted into righteousness with which we became able to bear the fruits of peace within our relationship with God and with those all around us. Hebrews 12:14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. If this and holiness would not be there, then of course you could say that we can have peace with all people. But when peace is accompanied with, uh, by holiness, then we see, we know that in accordance to Scripture, it's talking about a form of unique and supernatural peace that is only able to function within the boundaries of holiness or be a demonstration of holiness. These outlined and identified boundaries of holiness are the commandments of God. Apostle Paul writes, Romans 12:18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. It is not always, again, possible. Therefore, the peace that we demonstrate out of the boundaries of holiness and not as an expression of holiness is actually lawlessness for which we will be required to pay a price of eternal life. It is, in accordance to Scripture, it is impossible and criminal to have peace with the unclean and the lawless who support the unclean that it in their time accepted the truth but afterwards left their church and turned away from the holy commands that were given to them. 
the very fact of the rebelliousness and resistance of the words from God's delegation that are placed over them testify of the loss of peace in their heart and member them to the category of the wicked. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Isaiah 57, 20 through 21. Speaking of the Antichrist that everyone's so afraid of and waiting for and that they're trying to get figure out, people don't understand one thing. Apostle John writes, there are many Antichrists in the world, and it, he t also says where they come from. They came from us. And in this way, they came fr from us, but came out from us. Uh, and in this way, they've told us that they were never part of us. How many people leave the church? It's not important what church. They leave uh, incorrectly. They leave condemning the church, not agreeing with the church, and considering them uh, lost. I understand that there are entire movements, entire churches that are lost, but you need to check according to scripture, are you lost or the church is lost? And if you came out, then as Cain, he made the criminal act and then went to worship God and all of his descendants and all marched to hell. The same thing here when people, when they leave or come out of the church uh, incorrectly, criticizing, inspecting the word and thinking that it's wrong. I'm sorry, how could you determine who are you? Uh, according to scripture, God will never give one specific member what is how to determine good and evil. This is given to those people whom God has placed so that they be representatives of his word from where the uh, eternal life comes. And suddenly these people have taken upon themselves the responsibility to be inspectors and determine what's good and evil and what's good and right. Not even knowing the scriptures, not studying the scriptures, just taking one, uh, one two, or, or three places as if they know. True delegated people of God, they day and night are in the scriptures, they are day and night receiving revelations for them, uh, and so it's going to be very unfortunate for you if you do such things because you will end up very light in comparison to them why is it that you are just running why are you not meeting communicating no they don't come why because they're light they say well he knows the scriptures too well it's dangerous to speak with him he knows the scriptures wait um too well. It is difficult, of course, to have a conflict with God's delegated persons and to rise your hand against them. In the previous services, we in a specific format, as much as the Lord has allowed in the measure of our faith, have already looked at the first three questions and stopped to study the fourth question. By what signs are we able to examine ourselves that we are sons of peace as well as the sons of God, called to share the inheritance of Christ contained in the laws, prophets, and psalms? As it is written, Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And so blessed are the peacemakers, those who perform peace, that are clothed in peace, they shall be called sons of God. 
We've noted that the limits or boundaries of holiness within which peacemakers similar to their Heavenly Father perform peace are the boundaries of the commandments of the Lord in the format of the elementary principles of Christ, the tool by which the sons of peace perform peace within the boundaries of the commandments of the Lord is the righteousness of their faith. We've already looked at six signs by which we need to determine and examine ourselves as to whether we are sons of peace. And before we begin to study the seventh sign, I, in short formulations, will remind us of the previous six signs that were the subject of our study in the previous services. The first sign by which we need to judge or determine that we belong to the sons of peace is by the format of our justification, which we received independent from the law, freely by the grace of God in the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 5, 1, 2, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Romans 5, 1, 2. The second sign by which we need to judge or determine that we belong to the sons of peace is by our ability to have peace within the boundaries of holiness and as a demonstration of holiness. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12.14 We note that holiness is the ability to differentiate and separate dead works from works that are done by God and the ability to differentiate and separate the form of life of the old man from the form of life of the new man. The third sign by which we need to judge or determine that we belong to the sons of peace is by our membership to the congregation of Israel. Therefore, remember that you, this is Ephesians 2, 11 through 16, therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, as to create in himself one new man, the Gentile and the Israelite nations from the two to create one man, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And so all Jews that will hate the teaching of Judaism, the teaching of Christ, and will confront Christians, will perish. All Christians who will hate Judaism and will have a negative attitude towards the nation of Israel will also perish because peace God has created by uniting these nations and in this unification he creates peace in one person in Christ Jesus the fourth sign by which we need to judge or determine that we belong to the sons of peace is the pour of the Holy Spirit upon the wilderness of our heart which will become a fruitful field that will be counted as a forest And we know that a wilderness within our essence is one place, this is our body. Our spirit and our soul are not the wilderness, there the Lord is. But in the body is the law of sin and death, and it is a dry wilderness. And here it talks about the fact, until the spirit is poured upon us from one high, 
and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is counted as a forest, the fruitful field will, so, will be so large it will be as a forest, then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness remain in the fruitful field. The work of righteousness will be peace. And so in the body, a person will begin to bear fruit and in the body will be righteousness. And the work of righteousness will be peace and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. My people will dwell in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings and in quite resting places. Isaiah 32, 15 through 18. The fifth sign by which we need to determine that we are a part of the sons of peace is demonstrating zeal for God where we pre prevented the sons of Israel from being destroyed. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Numbers 25, 10 through 13, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, he turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace. And it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. We know that the symbol of the sons of Israel are the symbol of the redeemed by God nation. God redeemed our spirit, our soul, and our body. And this redemption perfectly works in the spirit of a person when he is born from God. His spirit is already redeemed, and there the Lord lives. Further, we receive a renewed mind and our body then is still not redeemed, not adopted. And to make atonement is to make atonement for your body because it is redeemed. This is a symbol. The sixth sign by which we need to determine that we are part of the sons of peace is by having the kingdom of heaven inside of ourselves. For the kingdom of, kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Romans 14, 17, 18. And so now the seventh sign by which we need to determine that we are part of the sons of peace. And it is by the ability of clothing yourself or your essence into the holy and selective love of God. The holy that is selective. If it's holy, what does holiness do? It separates. Here I'm talking about those people that still are against the selective love of God because the uh, word holy or selective is the same. If this love is holy, it is selective, and if it's not holy, then it's tolerant, it's not selective. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians 3, 14, 15. It is by the presence of the selective holy love of God within our heart that we are able to determine the reign of the peace of God within our heart. Before we are clothed into the selective love of God, it is necessary that this holy love of God be poured into our heart by the Holy Spirit. By itself, the selective love of God is an uncomprehendable for our mind goodness of God or virtue that belongs to God. Since the selective love of God, which is the goodness of God, contains concealed good, great, eternal, and ungrasping for our mind goals of God, called to build a unique and peaceful relationship between God and His children. 
He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it that men should fear before Him. Ecclesiastes 3, 11 and 14. Here it's talking about the fact that you can't with your mind fully grasp all of the works of God. God's work of love with it, uh, regarding His children. Apostle Paul spoke about the selective love of God that passes knowledge. This love is demonstrated in Christ Jesus. Apostle Paul says that comprehending or clothing yourself into the love of God is called to fill us with all of the fullness of the peace of God. Ephesians 3:16 through 19, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which surpasses understanding, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. The phrase that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all of the saints is the condition for clothing or for comprehending the selective love of God with your heart. This phrase indicates the necessity to find the narrow gate in the form of a good wife, who symbolically is the bride of the Lamb. These are all of the saints that are included in the category of God's chosen flock. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord, Proverbs 18:22. When I heard before this place of scripture, this place of scripture only was read during uh, the time of, of matrimony or and they and so uh, that you will receive favor favor is grace and so you think that if you married a, a Christian person you received God's grace then why did Christ need to come and die if a person can receive grace from God just by getting married obviously it's talking about a good wife <clears throat> by whom we can receive grace from the Lord. It's talking about the bride of Christ, the chosen by God flock. We can receive the grace of God, but we can't receive it out of the church, out of the body of Christ. It's talking about the bride of the Lamb, the chosen by God flock. To find a good thing and to obtain favor from the Lord is to discover the treasure of the kingdom of heaven upon your field. And understandably, the symbol of this field is our body that is under the control of the law of sin and death and to allow the resurrection of Christ to reign in our body it is necessary to sell all that you have therefore finding a good wife is making a matrimonial contract or a marital union with a specific church of saints who satisfy the requirements of God's chosen flock or God's remnant a good wife means a virtuous wife and so good in scripture are only those acts that a person does while fulfilling his calling according to the revelations of the will of God that are written in scripture many daughters have done well but you excel them all Proverbs 31 28 29 according to this proverb we see that a virtuous wife is a church where in their teaching about grace they also preach about how the saints can have a peaceful great appealing unlaborous and exalted relationship with God and with each other by the means of obtaining virtue that consists in the select that is consisted in the selective love of God it is this kind of relationship with God and with each other that is the foundation and definition of true virtue that consists in the selective love of God 
According to Scripture, the selective love of God as true virtue that a virtuous wife possesses is kindness or goodness that is grown from knowing God. And such a virtue or such goodness grown from the seed of the Word of God is identified in Scripture as wisdom that comes from above, moral perfection, the bond of perfection, splendor, greatness, beauty, magnificence, and glory. However, to have more practical specifications when it comes to the selective love of God, we will more deeply and widely look at the character and quality contained in the selective love of God as the true true virtue presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the preached good news of the apostles and prophets. Grace and peace, 2 Peter 1, 2 through 8. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to called us by glory and virtue by which you have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are in you and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Looking at these seven qualities of virtue, we conclude that they exist in each other, flow one from the other, depend one from the other, complete one the other, strengthen one the other, and confirm the truthful nature of one the other. If these qualities are called to serve as evidence of our membership to the essence of God, they are presented in the latter effect downward, and in result, then true virtue demonstrates itself in love. And so, first it is virtue, and the end is love. So, then, virtue will demonstrate itself in love. If these qualities are looked at going upward upon, then in result the selective love of God demonstrates itself in true virtue identifying the will of God. In essence, true virtue demonstrated in the qualities and characteristics of the selective love of God is the royal crown of the righteousness of God. Therefore, virtue that we are to show in our faith in the selective love of God is the love of God that comes from the goodness of God. The quality and mystery of the goodness of God is the virtue of God. Consequently, the selective love of God in the given context is the absolute goodness of God, given the qualities or virtues, the qualities of virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, and brotherly kindness. Because of this, it is necessary to study the selective love of God in the context or format of these qualities by which this love reveals itself. And for this purpose, we first need to differentiate the selective love of God from the tolerant love of men. As the virtue of the selective love of God are actually eternally existing characteristics of God himself, as well as all that comes from him, because God is love. And such a love coming from a similar goodness of God is defined in Scripture as the bond of perfection. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, Colossians 3.14. 
The bond of perfection of the selective love of God is unconditional and unlike the tolerant love of man, the unconditionality of the selective love of God is unable to be used for greedy and egotistical purposes. At the same time, the tolerant love of man toward other men is very conveniently used for greedy and egotistical purposes. We need to keep in mind that the unconditional state of the selective love of God is only working or functioning with when a man admits his sins and repents in his sins. The nature of human love is called in many different ways in ancient languages, identifying a, a person's relationship with those like him and the world that surrounds him. For example, in the Greek language, the word for deep friendship is philia. This type of love does not possess the selectiveness of the love of God toward those who love God, because it obligates a person and places before him requirements. You are required or have to because you are my friend. And if you don't do this for me, then what kind of friend are you? Oftentimes we say this. So you think you're my friend, you require something, you demand something. Such a position is contrary to the holy or selective love of God, which is a burning holiness and a fierce zeal, which is called to abide within our heart, a seal of God and a royal seal on our hand. At its initial point, in its foundation, a human love has the ability to speculate and use the love of friendship philia in personal, egotistical, and greedy pur purposes or goals. God's love is not able to be used in greedy uh, goals. Sons of Solomon 8.6.7 Set me as a seal upon your heart, a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. It, its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the flood drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. And so, again, the love philia does not possess the qualities of God's love. Friends get upset, separate, and become enemies. You didn't do this, and that's why you are like this. But God says, place my love as a seal upon your heart and a seal upon your arm. Remember that my love has a zeal, and this zeal is, is a very strong flame. In, quality, no, in its quality, no waters can quench it, and nothing will. And it's not possible to kill this love for all the wealth of your house. The next word of love in the ancient Greek language is the word storge. This word identifies a love by blood or familial bonds, relative bonds. This type of love also, as the previous, has within its ba basis the ability for speculation and that ego egoism as, as does philia. But here it relates to relative bonds. You are required because you are my relative. You are my son, you are my daughter, you are my wife, you are my husband, I'm your father. You are required. I bore you, I disciplined you, you're required. The next form of the word of, for love is the word eris. This word in the Greek language means an erotic or sexual relationship between a man and a woman. It is here, unlike in any other form of human love, you will see greed and egoism that move man to find the goodwill of their partner but with one purpose to satisfy their sexual appetite 
And finally, contrary to all of the forms of human love, identifying the essence and atmosphere of its earthly genesis, we see the magnificent and unearthly form of love that is God's, that is the Greek, that in the Greek language is agape, which is poured out into the hearts of the children of God in the form of the Holy Spirit. Such unconditionality of the selective love of God can be received and passed on in no other way but upon the basis of absolute and reasonable willingness. God loves a cheerful giver, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. And only then, when in men's relationships the magnificent love of God, agape, is placed priority over all forms of human love, then such an act of greed, self-interest, and egoism are disciplined by her holy and royal power. And to better understand the way we are called to demonstrate the work of virtue in our faith, which is in the love of God, we will need to remember, first, the genesis and essence of the selective love of God. Second, the purpose of unearthly love within our faith. Third, the price of obtaining the unearthly love of God agape. And fourth, sign as evidence of the selective love of God in your faith. Answering these questions will help us make the proper conclusions about the presence of the peace of God within our hearts, as well as the ability to receive the love of God and be clothed in her royal and magnificent garments. First question, what qualities and identification do the scriptures give, the wellspring from which the selective love of God flows in the atmosphere of which the peace of God can reign. Speaking of the genesis or the wellspring from which the virtue of the selective love of God flows, we conclude that first, the unconditional state of the selective love of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God reigns is poured out from the virtue of the Heavenly Father demonstrated in His goodness and is our hope that we that will never shame us. Romans 5, 5, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We need to understand that God is, is pre, uh, presented in Scripture in His primal or original nature as good or in goodness. Therefore, the goodness of God is the virtue of God that is poured out from God unconditionally in His selective love. And this surpassing of all of our understanding, goodness of God, identifies the moral essence of God as well as His great and good goals, identifying His will, good, acceptable, and perfect. And the unconditional state of the selective love of God is presented in Scripture in His numerous mercies, shown in His many forms of grace, prepared by Him for the redemption of His chosen people from the power of sin and death. Therefore, what is poured into our heart, the selective love of God agape, is the virtue of God where he shows his children the perfection and reign of his peace. So we as his children would be able to show the same exact love in our faith, in our relationship with God, and in our relationship with each other. Therefore, the unconditional state of the selective love of God is goodness or the virtue of good of God prepared and directed exclusively to his children. Luke 18, 18, 19. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. We know that in Scripture this... We know that the goodness of God is the will of God, and He is a, and Jesus is the fulfiller of God's will. 
And so the will of God, the given law of God, it comes from God. Jesus says, I am the fulfiller of God's will. And so Jesus, that's why he said, why do you call me good? There's only one who is good. In scripture, this synodal translation, we see more than a hundred places regarding the goodness of God demonstrated in his virtue. In the original text, this number is multiplied three times. Considering that the goodness of God demonstrated in the unconditional state of his selective love is the unconditional and undeviating will of God, the Son of God and the Holy Spirit, these are carriers and fulfillers of this unconditional and undeviating will of God. In a specifically it is specifically by the means of this goodness demonstrated in his selective love which in turn demonstrates righteousness and holiness of his truth God teaches the sinner in the way of truth and directs the humble to his righteousness and teaches them his ways God and so Psalm 25 8 9 says good and upright is the Lord therefore his teaching he teaches sinners the way the humble he guides is justice and humble the humble he teaches his ways. To be a member of the house of the Lord and to abide within the house of the Lord identifying the boundaries of the kingdom of heaven, it is necessary that the goodness and mercy of God demonstrated in the selective love of God follow us all of the days of our life. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23, 6. According to this and other places of Scripture, expressing the selective love of God toward your nation is demonstrating the virtue of God in the form of His goodness and mercy. Therefore, the word good in Scripture, identifying the essence of God, first is identified as beneficent, virtuous, acceptable, kind, flourishing, beautiful, wonderful, prosperous, joyful, helpful, pleasant, desired, exquisite, of a favorable outcome and favorable. And second, the character of the goodness of God when it refers to his virtue, it notes his godly gracefulness, refinement, elegance, sophistication, a harmonious whole, completeness, consistence, proportionate, and levelness. The characteristics of goodness in Scripture indicate the moral goodness of God. Therefore, the word good usually means kind in their result good in the absolute form or a goodness that is obvious to all others. Second, the unconditional state of the selective love of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God reigns is poured out from the substituting sacrifice of Christ for his church. Ephesians 5.25-27, this is again a strike upon those unfortunate people that do not agree with the selective love of God and think that his love is tolerant and that love God loves everyone. Let's read Ephesians 5.25-27 and see whether he truly loves everyone without consideration. Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to, to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish. And so he loved his church and gave himself for her. He didn't give himself for the unclean and the wicked. He gave himself only for his children to deliver his own. He doesn't need what is strange or foreign. He will not be dying for what is foreign or strange. He died only for his own, for those 
that see sin, admit to the sin, repent their sins, and leave them. Understandably, the Son of God, being the doer of the goodness of the Father, which is demonstrated in his will, loved the church and gave himself for her because of his love as a son to his Father. 1 John 4, 9, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that he might live through him. Therefore, the selective love of God, the Father containing the eternal life of God, is revealed and poured out into our hearts by Jesus Christ, by whom God opened access to himself for all for all nations, including the nation of Israel. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father, Ephesians 2.18. The selective love of God that was shown in the Son of God reconciled and made peace by him, by the blood of his cross, that which is on earth with what is also in heaven. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. If he, uh, Colossians 1.20 From our end, demonstrating virtue in your faith, in the selective love of God, where the peace of God reigns, is whatever we do in words or deeds to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians 3.17 Third, the unconditional state of the selective love of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God reigns is poured out into our heart, not in some kind of drunk atmosphere of the feelings, but in anointing power of the Holy Spirit that promotes the atmosphere of the selective love of God and the sensing of this love. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 2 Timothy 1.7 <clears throat> Understandably, the categories of spiritual infants <clears throat> in Christ Jesus are not yet able to receive the Holy Spirit in the form of their Lord, and further not able to possess the peace of God and confront the fear of man in order to get to know the power of the selective love of God. In chaste and follow the Holy Spirit into the land of uprightness. Your spirit is good, lead me in the land of uprightness. Psalm 143.10 Fourth, the unconditional state of the selective love of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God reigns is poured out into our hearts by hearing the preaching, the preached word that God has sent by his delegated persons. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. Apostle Paul writes, and here's what Job says about this. And so it's not poured out upon everyone all at the same time. It is poured out from one specific person whom God has placed as a leader, the pastor of a church, and not one that is uh, selected in the form of a vote or someone who has placed himself. God places and appoints people. And see how important this is, that truly, if we don't have this person, we're just going to perish. If we don't have a person placed by God. Job 33, 14 through 28. For God may speak in one way or another, yet man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night when when deep sleep falls upon him while slumbering on their beds. Then he opens the ear of man and seals their instruction. 
In order to turn man from his deed and conceal pride from man, he keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. Man is also chastened with pain on his he- on his bed and with strong pain in many of his bones, so that he, his life abhors bread and his soul succulent food. His flesh wastes away from sight and his bones stick out which once were not seen. Yes, his soul draws draws near the pit and his life to the executioners. If there is a messenger for him, a mediator, and one who, among the thousands, to show man his uprightness, then he is gracious to him and says, Deliver him from going down into the pit. I have found a ransom. His flesh shall be young like a child. He shall return to the days of his youth. He shall pray to God and he will delight in him. He shall see his face with joy, for he restored to man his righteousness. Then he looks at man and says, I have sinned and perverted what was right and did not profit me. He will redeem his soul from going down to the pit and his life shall see the light. If a person like this exists, this pastor, however terrible your situation, your life will be at the moment, uh, you have the pastor that is over you and this is the mediator. God does not hear uh, anyone like he hears his mediators because he placed Uh, this person to be responsible over the people and if a person uh, keeps respect towards this person and he continues to honor him as God's delegated person yes I may have fallen yes I may have sinned uh, but God by this person can uh, restore you Psalm 107 19 through 20 then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. We know that when God sends his word, he sends it by his prophets, by his apostles. Isaiah 39 8, so Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good, for he said at least there will be peace and truth in the days. And so King Hezekiah was under Isaiah and he obeyed him and he began to pray God sent to him, prophet Isaiah. He prayed for him and he was healed. Psalm 119.65, you have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. And so doing well, uh, God does his His work well, uh, he does his goodness and he does it by his servants, by his delegated persons. Fifth, the unconditional state of the selective love of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God reigns is poured out into our hearts by, uh, in the church, or more accurately, by communicating with the saints that satisfy the requirements of God's virtue, who's found a good wife, has found favor in the sight of God. Psalm 133, 1-3, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Upon these <clears throat> mountains of Zion, 
If we have communicating with the, communication with each other, then the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, then can we have fellowship with each other. Six, the unconditional state of the selective love of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God reigns is poured out into our heart by the good soil of our heart. If the heart is not good, is not cleansed from dead works, the love of God cannot be poured out because the final stage is that it needs to be poured into our heart. Yes, we heard the word in the power of the Holy Spirit from God's person, but if our heart is not cleansed, then this love cannot live in this heart but he who received the seed on the good ground is he who heard the word and understands it who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold some 60 and some 30 Matthew 13 23 if a person does not understand here it says who receives the seed is the one who heard the word and under, and understands it. If a person does not understand the heard word, then this means that the soil of the heart of this person is not good or evil. Therefore, such a person is not able to be a producer of fruit, and the word that he hears and does not understand will not bring him any benefit. In the given situation, the ability to understand the heard word indicates a specific state of the heart, demonstrated in the ability to incline your ear to accept and keep the heard word in the vessel of your heart. Therefore, a person that does not understand the heard word is the person that resists the preached word spoken from the lips of God's delegated persons, and due to their arrogance, they place their hope upon the power of their personal intellect. Acts 8.27-31 So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of, of Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I understand unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And so a person that's truly seeking God from a, and has a good heart he re-read and inside he was praying and saying lord i don't understand this who is it talking about the prophet what lamb is it talking about who is this person at this time uh, philip whom god sent he took him from a very different place see what god does for a person who seeks to know God. He takes him and literally places him next to the chariot. And so he comes near and he hears that he's reading prophet Isaiah. And he, said, he immediately saw that if a person's asking the question, that means he's understanding. He saw in him, uh, in Philip, a teacher, a prophet, and so he said, teacher, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And so he asked him to come up to, into his chariot. And after he explained to him who it was about, and he says, what stops me from being baptized? Here's water. And Philip says, if you believe from your whole heart that the, Jesus is the, is the Son of God, then 
And he says, do you believe? He says, I believe. And so they stopped the chariot and Philip baptized him. And so the, and, and this man can, continued on his journey rejoicing after he was baptized. I think it was an angel of God uh, that was within this person because he suddenly w appeared and then suddenly disappeared. He just put him back to where he was. And so if God has need and he finds a person whose heart is good, then he will find a person and can literally take someone from one location and put him into a different location to be able to tell the person who is in need uh, what he needs to hear in order to be saved. And so Apostle Paul says, to the glory of God through us, through his delegated persons that he uses to help. Speaking about the state of a good and evil heart, Jesus in his times presented this parable. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. A person who is wise is one that uh, obeys the order of God and understands that he can receive the uh, the words of God only from these persons, and the and so this is he his liken of a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on this house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But anyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it fell, and great was its fall. Matthew 7:24 through 27. Building of the house upon the stone as well as the sand happens by confessing specific words with your mouth. The words that we confess with our mouth is the treasure of our heart that can either be good or bad. All will depend on the state of the heart. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man he confesses the faith of his heart. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. So if the conscience is not cleansed from dead works, then this is an evil heart. He also confesses he brings forth evil treasure, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Luke 6.45 He says, I'm saved, I'm righteous, it's written, it's mine but his heart has nothing, and this means an evil person. This is an evil person who confesses what is not in his heart, and the results of the confessions, can, of course, will be different. The good treasure of the heart is hope and trust of a man upon redemption given to him by God that he receives into his heart from the preached word from God's delegated persons and confesses it as the faith of his heart. The evil treasure of the heart is hope and trust of a person upon the power of his mind and service to God where a person trusts that if he gives all of his possessions or his life in order to be, for, to be saved, that he will indeed inherit this salvation in this manner. Such a state of the heart depends upon the conscience of a man that isn't cleansed from dead works by the truth that is contained in the blood of the cross of Christ, which is within the possession of the sellers. As Paul said, 
through us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself without spot and, bl- and cl- spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Hebrews 9:13-14. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance. We would not have been able to know or understand, of course, uh, what uh, about God or about His truth if it weren't for Him revealing it through His apostles. Again, therefore, leaving the discussion elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works of, the, of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, laying on of the hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Hebrews 6, 1-2. The teaching uh, that will cleanse us from dead works are these four doctrines. Revelation 22.11, He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. Seventh, the unconditional state of the selective love of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God reigns is poured out into our heart by observing the creation of his world. Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, is his, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I remember one poet came to us from a Baptist church and she was uh, talking about uh, she was uh, speaking of a poem on the stage and it was about creation uh, another sister uh, also a Baptist who was here uh, uh, interrupted her and said why do you keep talking about creation why are you not talking about God and she said uh, all these creations were created by God and everything that and she was right in that what God created has its symbols and examples and when you're fascinated by God you're fascinated by the works that he had done and so truly by the real world God wanted to show himself to his children so that they would be fascinated by him and be attracted and seek him if a person is truly seeking God and is looking to know God about God upon his conditions then the Holy Spirit will begin to reveal the unconditional selective love of God in his creation before this person. He will show uh, he, he, he will be he will show himself in flowers in the mountains and fields and anything else he created. Job twelve seven through nine. But now ask the beast and they will teach you, and the birds of the air and they will tell you. Or speak to the earth and it will teach you, and the fish of the sea will explain to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this, since the love of God poured out into our heart is the royal crown of virtue, including the bond of all of the perfection of God, we will continue to study the essence of the love of God in the format of the qualities contained 
in virtue. In Scripture, the goodness of God, which comes from the selective love of God, is contrary to evil that comes from the hatred of the fallen angels and men who are within the power of these uh, fallen spirits. Considering the fact that the very mystery of the Holy Scriptures is a demonstration of the goodness and love of God, as the gospel of Christ is the kingdom of God or uh, kingdom of good and kind news contained in the shadow and symbols of the Old Testament. Therefore, as the Old Testament also as the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, the level of power of the selective love of God is demonstrated and determined in the level of power of hatred God has towards evil and evildoers. In other words, to understand the essence of the selective love of God and the goodness of God, it is necessary to look at what or who God loves and what or who does God hate. Because only loving what God loves and hating what God hates, we will be able to show in our faith the reaction of God to evil and to good. So first question, what or who does God love? Understandably, there are other components that identify the unconditional state of the selective love of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God reigns. However, considering that all of these components are within each other, they flow from one the other, examining ourselves as to whether we are members of the sons of peace in these seven elements is sufficient. First, the selective love of God flowing from the virtue of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God reigns in in its nature loves to pardon or be merciful to the repenting sinner. Who is God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Micah 7.18 A person capable of seeing and admitting to his sins and repenting in his sins or leaving his sins, the scripture called as the chosen by God remnant, worthy of the holy love of God. In essence, the demonstration of such a selective love of God, where God forgives the guilt of a man and does not account his sins to him, is the accomplishing of the gospel of the kingdom, where God kept within his symbols in the old co- uh, covenant and then revealed it these mysteries, these symbols in the lost prophets and psalms in his New Testament. If we paid attention, God forgives lawlessness and does not account uh, sin uh, when it comes to his remnant or his people. Who is like you who does not account the sins of your people? But all those who do not have a membership to the to God's <coughs> uh, remnant or his flock will be destroyed. To be a member of God's flock is from beginning to end the choice and prerogative of man and not God. God upon specific conditions <coughs> offers life or death and blessing and cursing and a person chooses. Therefore, it is not God's uh, fault that a person has chosen not to choose life and has placed himself out of the grace of God. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 30, 19, 20. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. Deuteronomy 30, 19, 20. These words of God are spoken by Moses. 
God didn't speak directly. He spoke through someone. Here is one of the examples by which we can examine ourselves as to whether we belong to God's uh, remnant or flock to have a testimony of the rule of the peace of God within our heart. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, Jesus did, and all of the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery and when they had set her in the midst, in their midst, he said to them, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. And so those who abandon God will be written upon the dust, it says in Jeremiah. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And so it says here that he stooped down, that means he was <clears throat> he was actively writing something on the ground. He's writing their names on the ground, the names of these people who brought her to them. Maybe they will remember Prophet Jeremiah that those who reject God uh, to reject God is to leave your church uh, where God worked where God uh, with you and where God revealed things to you and so when they ask the questions what God is only with you it's interesting to me what's surprising is when they go to the other churches they don't ask the same questions there here they complain where the money goes that is given in, in, in the form of tithe and there they don't complain and there they're quiet here they complain it's very interesting and so God will show all of this to them later and again he stooped down and wrote on the ground then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one beginning with the oldest even to the last and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman he said to her woman where are those accusers of yours has no one condemned you and she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I, because he saw the state of this woman. He saw that she felt bad and was repenting inside for what she did. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. John 8, 2 through 12. <laughs> Here's the example, example by which we need to examine ourselves so that we may have witness we can be or, or we have the testimony of of, of this kind of state in our heart and so people uh, instead of repenting oftentimes people when uh, instead of repenting they start to find guilt uh, or some something uh, to accuse uh, God's delegated person or other people 
Second, the selective love of God flowing from the virtue of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God reigns in nature, loves the fatherless, the widow, and the stranger. Deuteronomy 10.18 He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger giving him food and clothing. To love the fatherless widow and stranger you need to yourself have the state of the of fatherlessness being a widow and a stranger which are demonstrations of fruits of righteousness which are the fruits of peace. We know to possess the state status of of fatherlessness, you need to forget the house of your father. When we uh, deny the house of our father, we become fatherless. And this is a virtue. Then God can work with us, can speak with us, and we can worship him. To have the position or status of a widow, so we can be as widow as a widow, we need to deny and lose our soul in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the one that rules is master. If sin rules, then it is the master, and it, it rules through the soul. But when you lose the soul, then we become this widow. And this position allows us the right to have peace with God. To be as a stranger or have the status of a stranger, it is necessary to deny and forget your nation. And then we become strangers in a land, sojourners in a land. Now we don't have a nation that we would be able to belong to. The nation that we belong is not here on earth. We become members of heaven. And those that are in our likeness, although they are on earth, but they're not the nation that is not considered as a nation here on earth. Listen, O daughter, consider and incline your ear, forget your own people also and your father's house. Incline your ear. So consider, incline your ear, and forget your own people also and your father's house. So the king will greatly desire your beauty, because he is your Lord. Worship him. Psalm 45, 10, 11. This is also written in the book of Hebrews by Apostle Paul. If we pay the, pay the price to possess the state of a fatherless, a person that's father, fatherless, one who is a widow and stranger, then this will mean that we have within our heart this true peace of God. Amen. Let us bend our knees, however, who is comfortable, and we will pray, and may the Lord bless us, all those who desire to confront all sin, all fear, all illnesses, all dependences. The Holy Spirit is upon this place to help us. We will pray for you, and we will wait for you here at the altar. The Holy Spirit is here to help you. I am going to be praying your prayer, and I ask you to deeply believe that God is for you. He's not against you. He truly can open up your heart and cleanse it from all nature of evil, cleanse your mind, deliver you from the dependence and heal your bodies. Close your eyes. This is your secret room. Lift your hands to the Lord. Pray together with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you. I admit to my sins. I hate them. I leave them. 
Break these bonds of sin in me. Deliver me from dependence of sin. I want to be yours. I open up my heart. Enter in. Heal the wounds of my heart. Deliver me from all dependence of fear and shame. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. Amen. Amen. Your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he look upon you with his great face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May all these blessings be upon you and upon your children and be fulfilled upon you. And the nation shall say, Amen. And now, let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.